Money! That's what I want. You know, that's a crazy, crazy song because we all say, oh, yeah, that's great. But there is for us, when we talk about finances, there's this struggle that takes place in there. That There's this struggle that exists because there are things that we know about how we're supposed to handle our money. We know them in our heads, right? And there are things that we want to be able to do with our money. There are things that we want. And there's the actual stuff that we do with our money that oftentimes doesn't match what we want or what we know, right? And so it creates this tension, the tug of war that, that exists for us, this, this sense of, of crazy. Um, we're we're going to be talking about that today. You know, the financial world right now is incredibly unstable, right? Uh, anybody have money in the market? And it's kind of, oh, is it down? Is it up? Is it? It's crazy, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty about the future, both worldwide and, um, and here in the U.S. economically. It, it, it's crazy. The, no, nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, in, uh, in 2017, there was a study that was done by CareerBuilder that said 56% of Americans, so more than half, 56% of Americans are so far in debt that they don't believe that they'll ever be able to get out of debt in their lifetimes. I, I, I got to believe that that's probably true of people who are here too. Uh, same study said 78%, 78% of people, of Americans, live paycheck to paycheck, which means if you lost your job, you'd be in a world of hurt immediately. Uh, do you feel that struggle, that tension, that angst that's there? A, a separate study that was, um, that was done by U.S. Bank said only 41%, so two out of five American families, um, use a budget of any, or have a budget. <laughs> Not necessarily use a budget, but have a budget. Only, only two out of five, a, a plan for how they're going to spend their money. Um, finances are a struggle for us. Because we know what we want to do, but we don't necessarily do it on a regular basis. Um, that's, that's why as a church, uh, we're doing this series. I, I want to I give you a, a, really just one principle this morning that can, that can shape um, how you handle finances. But it's why we give some tools to help you uh, wrestle your finances to the ground as well. Um, towards the end of the month, we've got a, a group that's starting called Financial Peace University. Um, it, it's an incredible set of tools to help you get control of your finances. If you're struggling, if you fit in one of those categories, if, if you're uh, in crazy debt, um, do FPU. Joseph and Haley Atori are our leaders. Um, it's, it costs some money to do it, but it's worth the investment. Um, you know, uh, Take advantage of that because there are some real practical things that you can do to help, to help ultimately get there. Uh, the scripture that I want to start with today that really is kind of a takeoff and where we're gonna, ultimately going to end is not a scripture that you, you would typically think about in terms of uh, a message about financial health or finances or, or money, any of that kind of stuff. It's in Proverbs 3. We're going to look at six verses. So if you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, you want to take one out of the back of the front of the pew. If you've got the North Point app, you can go to the the message notes. We're going to go to Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5 and reading down through verse 10. It's on screen as well. Hear the words of God. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge or submit to him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of, your, of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's, there's a phrase in there that, um, that's a phrase that we typically don't use very much, but it's really where I want to focus today. It's, it's, when, um, it's when the writer of the Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. First fruits, what's that means. It means literally that for somebody who was a farmer, that when they would have a harvest, that the first part of their harvest, they would give back to God. If they were a shepherd or if they took care of animals, that, that when an animal would have a baby, when, when the mama animal would have a baby, that the first animal that that, uh, the first baby that that mama had would be given back to God as a sacrifice. That's that concept of the first fruits given back to God. Um, you know, that, that concept, interestingly enough, is not, is, it's not isolated only uh, to the Israelite nation, to the Jewish people. Um, in, uh, the archaeologists discovered stone tablets that, um, that talked about a first fruits offering that was given to the, to the Greek temples, uh, to, the, to the goddesses especially. And on those tablets, it gave very detailed um, direction about what first fruit offerings were to be given and how they would be spent. In Athens, that's a, that's a crazy thing. That first fruits concept, though, goes well beyond historically the Greek culture. It goes actually back to the second generation of mankind, um, because bringing a gift to God, bringing the first of your income to God, bringing the first fruits to God, is a biblical pattern. It's something that we find in Scripture before any place else. Let me show you what I mean. Um, If you've got your Bibles, go back to Genesis chapter 4. And Genesis chapter 4 describes an offering that was given to God by Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. I'm going to start reading in Genesis 4 verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborns firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and on his offering, he didn't look with favor. All the way back at the beginning, after Adam and Eve were, uh, were banished from the Garden of Eden, that first offering, Abel gives the firstborn of his flocks back to God. That's, a, that's an interesting thing that we're going to come back to a little bit later. Um, as you go forward in Jewish history, um, the, the Jewish law talked about giving that first fruit offering often. Um, I, I think it's at least eight different times it happens. Exodus 23 says this, verse 19, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Bring the best of your first fruits. Exodus 13 says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human 
or animal. Why, why would God give this command, this law that says the first of what you get, the first that you receive in your income needs to come back to me? It, it's not because God needs this stuff. It's not because like, God needed a calf or, or a ewe lamb. Uh, it's not because God needed wheat or grain or anything like that. It wasn't because God uh, thought, oh, you know what, I need to create some busy work for the Israelites to make sure that they have some things that they can check off. Here's why I think God gave that law, that instruction. It's because every animal procreated, every animal that was born was born because of God's design. Every tree that gave fruit, every uh, crop that was put in the ground that, that grew up and created a harvest, that happened because God was the one who provided the soil and the sun and the rain so that that could grow. That first fruit offering was, was there to remind the Israelites and I think to remind us that everything that we have comes from God. Bringing the first to God is a pattern that we find in Scripture. Um, Exodus 13, a little bit later in, in verse 11, says this, After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it, and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you don't redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. God says through Moses to the nation of Israel, you know what, firstborn of, of everything needs to come to me. Uh, unclean animals, you know what, if you don't want to redeem it, if you don't want that animal back, go ahead and, and kill it. It's, it. It can't live. But if you do want it back, you can offer a uh, clean animal, a lamb or a bull or a goat, you can offer a clean animal uh, in exchange for that unclean animal, an animal like the donkey. In the Old Testament, though, the firstborn had to be sacrificed or redeemed. That was a part of the law. Numbers 18 clarifies that. If you want to do some work later today, uh, read Numbers 18, and it talks about this offering of the firstfruits and the, and the firstborn. Um, if you were here two weeks ago in the Christmas messages when we talked about uh, better than empty, and we talked about Mary and Joseph bringing the baby Jesus into the temple courtyard to Simeon, um, they came so that they could offer a sacrifice to redeem their newborn son, their firstborn son. They, they, they weren't rich. They couldn't afford the five shekels of silver uh, that Numbers 18 mentions. And so they were able instead to offer an offering of two doves to redeem Jesus because the firstborn belongs to God. God said that something something um, that was clean could be sacrificed for something that was unclean. That's not a law for us. That, you know, let, me, let me be clear about this in this message. Um, we don't live under the law. I'm so grateful, so grateful that Jesus fulfilled the law. Um, so, so we don't have this burden that comes with us of, of doing that, but there's a principle here that I think shapes for us what's first in our life. Um, the Israelites brought their first fruits to God to recognize everything that they had came from him. Um, as, I, as I get going in the message, let me take a, just kind of a, a side path, a rabbit trail for a second, and talk about some terminology that I discovered in working on this message. Um, in in uh, 
in Scripture, it talks about bringing your offering to God. But for me personally, when I talk about the offering here at North Point, I, I, I talk about us giving our offering, right? You know, I say, yeah, if you're going to come give your offering, do it this way, that kind of thing. But in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, there's a couple of passages that talk about bringing your offering. I want to challenge you to think about bringing your offering to God rather than giving an offering to God. Um, what's, what's the difference in those two, two, term, in those two terms? If, um, if I'm heading out of town and, um, and my car is just going to sit at home and, and Chris's car is in the shop and I, I give my car to Chris, I loan my car to Chris to drive during the time that I'm away, um, that's a cool thing, right? I, I've got the resources to be able to do that. I can bless him with that. He, so he's driving my car. So when I get home, what happens? Does Chris come in my office and say, Rick, I have a gift for you. There's this white Buick Lucerne outside, and you can have it. I'm giving it to you. No, he doesn't say that at all, right? He's bringing back to me what was already mine. Do you, do you recognize the difference in that? I, I, it's, it's subtle, but I think it's a big deal. When we bring our offering to God, we're simply returning what he has already blessed us with. When we give an offering, man, it's at all at our discretion. We choose where it goes, how much, that kind of stuff. I want to challenge you to think about bringing your offering to God. Let's, uh, let me show you the, that it's there in Scripture. Exodus 23 Verse 19, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. There's that word, bring. Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe. That's, that's another word that we don't use very often. Tithe, just, it was the Hebrew word for 10%. Bring a tenth of what you have into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says to his people, bring it, man. Bring what I've already given you. Bring it back to me. Um, I want to challenge you. As you think about what you um, place back in God's hands, to think about bringing your offering, bringing your gift to God and and allowing him to have control over that rather than you... um, taking discretionary control of that. Why why is that concept important? Because of this, God must be first. His nature demands it. Don't miss this. God must be first. Um, We sang in the third song that we sang this morning, we, we, we sang, our God is ever almighty. He's first. You won't share your glory, we sang over and over again. God must be first. God can never act outside of his character. Um, let, let me, let's just talk about that for a second. God can never do anything that's inconsistent with his nature. One of the things that God can't do is change, right? God is consistent. He can't change because if he could change, he could get better, right? Or get worse. And God can't do that. God's nature never changes. So that unchanging nature, that's, that's described with the word immutable. Say immutable. Immutable. Say it one more time. 
Now you can go home and impress your neighbors, all right? Uh, immutable means it, it, it can't be changed. God is immutable. God also, uh, as a part of his nature, he doesn't think the way that we think, all right? He can't think the way that we think because we think to try and understand and figure things out, right? I'm, I, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do later today. I'm trying to figure out what the right path is. God never does that. Because he knows everything. He's omniscient. Say omniscient. Omniscient. All knowledge. Omniscient. God never wakes up and says, I've got a new thought today. I, I, think, I think I'm going to do this. He never has a new thought. Because he has all knowledge. And here's the, here's the key. Here's the, here's the key to it. God can never be second. God in his nature is preeminent. Say preeminence. Preeminence. That means that God is first. He is absolutely first above everything. Um, Let me say it this way. If there's anything in your life between you and God, big G, that person or that thing that's between you and God, big G, is your God little g. And God, big G, cannot exist in relationship with other gods, little g. God, in order to be true to his nature, must be first. It's who he is. So even if he's not first in your life, don't miss this, he is still first. There still will come a time that we look him eye to eye after we die, after we leave this earth, and, and we'll be accountable for our thoughts and actions, for our deeds, for, for how we live. God must be first. When we bring our first gifts of our income to him, when we bring our first fruits to him, it's because of God's nature, because he must be first in our life. You know, doing that, um, bringing the first, it demands faith from us. If, if we're going to bring our first gift, the first portion of our income to God, that demands a ton of faith, faith that God will provide all of our subsequent needs, faith that he'll provide everything that comes beyond that. Um, you know, we talked about Abel's offering, that Abel gave um, part of his, uh, he, g- he gave his firstborn in, in sacrifice to God. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about that. This is Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. By faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Why was Abel's offering by faith? I think it's this. When Abel gave the firstborn of his flock, he was saying, I trust that God is going to provide additional animals from this mama. I trust, by faith, I believe that God is going to grow this flock even though I'm giving the first to, to him. It would have been easy for Abel to say, you know what, I'm going to give the, after, after that ewe lamb has had five or six, then I'm going to give one to God. After he's, had 10, she's had 10, I'm going to give, Abel gave the first one by faith, believing that God would provide for, 
for him. What's that mean for us? I, I think it means that God calls us to give the first of our income to him, to give to God before anything else. When we give the first, God blesses the rest. Let me say that again. When we give the first, God blesses the rest. If you've ever heard anybody say, you know what, if you give God 10%, he's going to make the 90% go in places, go far, far beyond anything that you ever thought, thought of. When we give God the first, he's going to bless the rest. The bank doesn't have the ability to bless the rest of your income. The credit card company doesn't have the ability to bless the rest of your financial state. The mortgage company doesn't have the ability to bless what you have left over. Only God does. God, God will, when we give him the first, God will bless the rest. Practically, it means that, 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 that we give the first of our offerings to God before we pay any other bills, uh, before we save for retirement or vacation, even before we pay off debt. I, I know that sounds crazy, doesn't it? It just sounds crazy. But hear the words from Proverbs 3 again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll direct your paths. You know what? When we give God our first of our finances, when we do that first, it demands change in us. It changes the way that we do the rest of our spending, right? And all of a sudden, those things that seemed so important aren't an option anymore, and we recognize that they're not, that they're extra, that they're fluff. When we give to God first, it puts everything else in order. How do you do that practically? What's that look like? You know, um, if, uh, if, if, you, if you give a gift to God and you write checks, um, it looks this way. Um, if you're under 30, there used to be this thing that we did called writing checks. There were pieces of paper that you could sign your name to and it, it um, passed money along. If, if you write checks to pay, to pay for your bills, the first check that you write, give to God. Let that be your first check and every other check fall in order after that. Uh, if you do cash, if you, if you give um, cash, to God. If you, if you do, when you get paid, you cash your check and you go from there, whatever it is that you're going to give to God, let me encourage you to just take whatever that is, put it in a separate pocket, put it in an envelope, do something and, and save it until you're ready to, to give it to God so that you can give it first. If you, uh, if you pay your bills electronically, if you handle everything electronically, set it up so that the first money that comes out of your account is, is being given back to God. That's, that's what Deb and I do. So I get paid. We do electronic transfer here at the church. That this is where I, I receive my, my salary, my income. And so I get paid on the 15th and the 30th. Two days after the 15th and 30th, I have, I have set up at the bank a recurring process so that on the 17th and on either the first or the second of each month, um, my bank, I've, I've authorized my bank to write a check that comes here to North Point that is, um, that is it's our gift. It's a little bit more than a tithe, and it, and it comes here, and it does that. It does that automatically. That money comes out of my account automatically, and it, and it impacts what we have money to do in other things because I'm given to God first. Do you understand that? Does that that'll make sense. Uh, priority of, of first. Um, 
there, there's an interesting thing that happens as we give. Um, it creates an opportunity for us to have a conversation. Um, when, when we give consistently and we give the first back to God, um, it creates this opportunity for, to have conversations with people to say, okay, why do you, why do you live that way? Let, let me show you. It's in Exodus 13. Exodus 13, verse 14. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. It will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Moses says, hey, here's the deal. When we give our first to God, it creates opportunities with our kids to have conversations. If, there, if there's anything I regret as a parent now um, about this, it's that I'm, I, I whiffed on this with our kids. I taught our kids from the time that they were little to tithe, to, to give a tenth of what they made back to God. So when they were babysitting, when they were mowing lawns, when they were doing jobs, they, uh, you know, a few dollars, they were, they were given 25, 50 cents, whatever it was, um, back, back to God in the kingdom. That's, that was something I taught. But I never let them see, I never let them see my checks that I gave to the church. Um, I missed on that because if you're, if you're given 10%, uh, if, you're, if you're given some, some significant amount, your kids will say, what are we doing? That's, you know, we don't have money to do this, this, and this, and you're giving that much money to God? Why are we doing that? And it gives you the opportunity to say, let me tell you, our lives have been changed so dramatically by Jesus that it's just a natural expression of who we are to give. I, I remember as a kid, um, I, a teenager, I remember seeing my dad's check, his tithe check every week, $70. Um, that would have been in 1975 or something like that. And, and I extrapolated and thought, good night. He makes a ton of money. Um, it creates that conversation to say God has changed us. Not just with your, it creates that conversation not just with your kids, but, but with your friends, with your spouse, with, you know, with the people who are there. Last, last point of the message is this. Understand this, don't miss it. Jesus was God's first fruit offering. Jesus was God's first fruit offering. Remember those verses? Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. If you don't redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. The lamb was a clean animal. The donkey was an unclean animal. If you go to Numbers 18, it spells that out further and says, you know what, if you want to redeem an unclean animal, you have to do it by, by giving the life, sacrificing the life of a clean animal. Here's the question. Are we, when we're born... Clean or unclean? We're unclean. We're born stained with Adam's sin. Uh, believe that? How many of you had to teach your kids 
to disobey. They get it from the very beginning, right? They know it because they're born with a bent towards sin. They're born unclean. Was Jesus born clean or unclean? He was born clean. No sin in Jesus. God sent Jesus, the clean, to redeem the unclean. Me and you. Jesus is God's first fruit offering to the world. Romans 5 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still unclean, while we were still in desperate need of redemption, Christ died for us. Land in the plane here, it all comes down to this. If God is first in our life, everything else will fall into order. Everything else will fall into order. And if God isn't first in our life, it doesn't matter what we do, how much management skill we have, any of that stuff, our lives will be chaotic. If, I'm, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying, oh boy, you give the first of your income to God, everything in your life is going to be happy and rosy. That's not true. Jesus said, in this world there'll be tribulation. But everything will fall into order. When we make that decision, every subsequent decision begins to make more sense and to fall into place. Now, please don't misunderstand. There, there is no desire for me to create any sense of legalistic, guilt-driven drive to encourage you to give today. It's not that at all. There's, there's a principle here that I think is so critical for us who choose to follow Jesus that says everything that we have is from God. Everything that we have is from God. It only makes sense that we bring back to him what he has already given to us. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. The great thing about, about this concept is that we don't live under law. We don't have to do any of this. We don't have to do that. But the law was there to teach us, to teach us who God is, to teach us who we are. If we have an opportunity to live that out joyfully, freely, to bring back to God what he has already given us, what an incredible blessing it is. If you're struggling, hear these words from Proverbs 3 one more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. What's first? God. Only God. Let's pray.
Lord, uh, this message pierces us because we've been givers at our discretion. God, because we think that we own what we have. We think that we're um, smart enough and good enough that we deserve what we're paid, the income that we have. And God, collectively, we come to you right now and, and just acknowledge it is all from you. It's only because of your blessing and kindness that we have anything. God, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus. And Lord, we just ask for your help as we start this new year, that you would change the way that we think about the offerings that we bring. That you would um, do your work in us so that we would be freed from the power of that money that we think we want so badly. God, change us. Change us this year. Help us to see you for who you are. To allow you to be first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.